Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Daily Objective and another Freedom Friday. So tomorrow is the 4th of July, so our homage and our celebration of, uh, of this anniversary, we have a discussion about what the 4th of July is about and what are the, the values that should inspire us. And even more importantly, whether these values are alive today in the United States. So our guests today are one of my usual co-hosts, Gloria Alvarez, commentator and political activist in Latin America. Hi, Gloria. Hello, Nikos. How are you? It's a pleasure. I'm good, to be thanks. It's a bit of a heat wave in Athens, but otherwise well. And also Douglas Carswell. Douglas is one of the most consistent voices defending ideas around freedom and defending ideas around what we call classical liberalism in the UK. Douglas, hi, and thank you very much for being here. Hello, Nikos. Hello, Gloria. And hello to your audience. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much. So in the last month or so, the United States have been in a deep introspection. And the issue of, racism, of, of race relations and racism is, again, on very high on the agenda. And the discussion by one side of the argument is that United States has, let's say, an original sin. And this original sin is racism and injustice and inequality. And they claim that this original sin has, has put its signature from the very founding of this country. So they would say that we question this idea that there's much to celebrate in, in, in the history of this country because the history of this country has been, has been full of this injustice from the very start. However, there's this other voice that says that, no, it's because of the founding principles of the United States that the, the gross inequality and the gross violation of individual rights, which was slavery, was managed to be finally abolished. So what's your take on all that, Douglas? I think tomorrow, July the 4th, is a wonderful occasion to celebrate. It's the 244th birthday of the birth of, I think, the greatest republic that's ever existed. I think the United States of America, when they broke away from us Brits, they went on to do something quite, quite, quite remarkable. As Calvin Coolidge, their, their 30th president, said, um, it wasn't just a new country, it was a new way of running a country. It, it marked the establishment of a, a, a nation along new principles. And just look at the achievement of the United States. They created a republic around about the time the French created a republic. France is now on its fifth version because they've been so unsuccessful. Think of all the republics around the world that have floundered and failed since. Not the United States. The United States has created an incredible achievement, not just politically, but in terms of science, economics. Just think of it in these terms. What is the one country around the world where tens of millions of people want to go and live and become citizens? It's the United States. It is the most extraordinary achievement. Now, that's not to say it's flawless. Of course it's not. I think it's only fair to say that the United States hasn't always lived up to its founding principles. But on the big issues, America has always been right. They were on the right side in defeating Nazism. They extended civil rights in the mid 20th century to all Americans, particularly African Americans. And one thing I would never think we should forget is that the United States didn't just extend those principles and liberties to all Americans. Within my lifetime, they have extended those principles by winning the Cold War 
to the better part of humankind. And the world is a better place because of the United States. It's not perfect, but boy, when I see those people foolishly tearing down statues of America's past figures, by all means criticize them. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna apply those standards to the United States, there are many more things you can down here, here in Britain or, or in many other countries, Americans, the black in the world. Right, Douglas, we lost you a bit. Uh, we lost a bit your connection. So I'll, I'll get back to you in a second when we manage to, to get you to get you back. Gloria, uh, is uh, are you with us or is it my connection which is bad? Uh, no, I also lost Douglas for a little bit there. Uh, can you? Oh, hear okay. Me? So it's it's Douglas. Okay. So so I'll get to you. One aspect of the American Revolution and of the principles of the United States that is often overlooked is. What a big impact it had in other countries and in other revolutions. So if you see, for example, the lyrics of the Greek national anthem, the, the, the whole version of it, at some point it mentions the impact of George Washington and the impact of, of these ideas. Now you are fighting the good fight in Latin America. And you, your, let's say, founding fathers are people like Bolivar. And these people were also claiming that they were indeed influenced by the ideas of the United States. However, in the last, let's say, 70 years, in Latin America, uh, among big parts of the population, the image of the United States is not seen as someone with inspiring ideas, is mostly seen as a country which, uh, you know, it interferes within the, in the politics of Latin America, and specifically within the left. The United States is mostly the, uh, the, the personification of evil rather than the personification of these ideas. So what, the, what role do the values of the United States and what we call Americanism play in the struggle for freedom in Latin America? Yeah, uh, let, me, let me give a little bit of historical background uh, because there was a very uh, classical liberal push within Spain uh, Ortega y Gasset writes about this uh, in a book called The Unvertebrated Spain. So Spain chose to be more feudal. It chose to be more monarchical. It chose to have this lack of social mobility and state mercantilism uh, and, and, and completely abandon a tradition of free markets, of uh, individual mobility within a society where you could actually come from the poverty up. But there were marvelous um, uh, um, examples of people within the, the Spanish tradition who actually inspired the founding fathers of the United States, like the School of Salamanca. So the School of Salamanca, which from whom Cervantes was very uh, keen of, it reminds us that, li that liberty is the most precious treasure of them all. And Spain tried to have a way more parliamentarian constitution in 1812, but it failed. So we did have some people like Simón Bolívar, Juan Bautista Alberdi in Argentina, José Cecilio del Valle in Guatemala, and of course, José Martí in Cuba, who were very fond of rescuing this tradition and they would get along 
with the with the messages of the founding fathers because what i what i find that is very impressive about the united states it was that it was the first time in history where the individual in it was written down for the first time in history that the individual was not a subject of the government he was not a, a, a slave or a servant of the government, but that on the contrary, the individual in himself and herself is someone that has intrinsical rights that you don't need anyone else to renounce to anything to have, including the pursuit of your own happiness. And that is, I think, a milestone for humanity because it was for the first time written down that we all are equal, of course, using the word created, because we were still centuries before, you know, discovering uh, evolution, DNA, and, and, you know, that part of, of our history as humanity. But it is established that we are all equal, equal in treatment, equal before the law of the values of liberty. So even if the United States was founded with slavery, which was the norm, in the entire humanity for all of its history, that slavery was the norm. The, 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 the innovative thing, it was that it was the first time that, that it was written down that the individual is free and only equal on the law. This tradition in Latin America didn't translate it. In Latin America, the monarchical mentality where, where, yes, we copied the republic, as, as Benjamin Franklin said, right? The United States is not a democracy. You see nowadays all saying, oh, the democracy, the democracy. No, guys, you're not a democracy. In fact, the founding fathers knew that democracies uh, were not sufficient in order to maintain individual rights. It was a republic. And, and what Latin American did is that we copy and paste the model, but not the foundations of it. We didn't decentralize taxes, for example. We didn't privatize the hinterland. So always the people kept on being subjects of the crown. And when we got independence, that tradition continued. This is explained very well in the book, Why Nations Fail of Robinson. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's very valuable to think of that. Now, from then on, the United States did have this imperialistic vision, especially in the 20th century. But what I say to my Latin American friends is, we need to own our own responsibility. Because if you look case by case from Salvador de Allende in Chile, or the CIA involving in Guatemala with Arbenz, or the, the creation of Panama with, with, a, with a fake independence from Colombia, every time the United States in Latin America is because someone inside has opened the door. So no one comes inside your house unless you open the door. And in the case of Latin America, every time the United States has intervened has been because the government, the counter-revolutionary forces, or some group in the civil society welcomes them in in order to, you know, make a revolution or change the status quo. Right. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I agree with this. And that's also related to the, to the history of Greece and the history of anti-Americanism, which quite often, I think, hasn't really benefited our political thing in Greece. But anyway, Douglas, are you back with us? Have we got a better I hope you can hear me. Is, is, yes, yes, you... we can hear you. Yeah, thanks. So my next question is, the, what would be the future of freedom in the UK and in the US? So we saw, for example, in the 80s, there was this so-called like 
power couple in politics. You had Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. And they had kind of a similar project, which in the mind of its opponents today, it's called neoliberalism, whatever that is meant. And then you had, let's say, Clinton and Blair, again, similar trends of, of more like centrist kind of technocrats. And today we have a different kind of, of, uh, of more, more, let's say, uh, in the United States, uh, an outsider's conservatism with people like Trump and his, and his, uh, and his like bandwagon. But in the UK, we, we have Boris Johnson. Now, we'd expect from Johnson that because he has this understanding of, of, of classical liberals and the understanding of these ideas, that we'd see a conservatism that would be very, very also effective in the so-called culture wars. But what we see, both in the US and in the UK, we see that the culture wars seem to be won, now, at least till now, by the left, because they have the, let's say, not control, but, but advantage on institutions like higher education, the entertainment industry, and all that stuff. So do you see that liberty falling or rising together in the US and the UK? And what do you see the relationship between, let's say, conservatism or republicanism in these two countries, specifically in the difficult times that we are living in? I think it's very worrying because politics ultimately flows from what happens in universities, from what people think, from ideas. Um, politics is downstream from ideas. When Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan had that amazing partnership where they brought economic liberty to their own countries and they helped extend it around the world, they were influenced by people like Milton Friedman and Hayek who had come before them. And they were, if you like, the, 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 the consequence of free market ideas and thoughts. I think it's a little bit overly confident in the power of politicians to change things if we are going to expect governments, ministers, people like Boris Johnson, to fight this culture war. Um, as Calvin Coolidge said, governments don't make ideals, ideals make governments. And we all of us in the free market liberty movement, I think, have a responsibility to help fight this battle for, for liberty and for cultural confidence, for a belief that there is such a thing as Western exceptionalism, whether by that you, you, you go back just to the, 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 the American tradition, the Anglo-American tradition, or, or way back to the classical Roman and Greek tradition. There is something distinctively Western that we should be proud of. There is virtue, not just utility, but moral virtue in the supremacy of liberal thought and liberal ideas and free exchange, free exchange of ideas and free exchange of goods and services. And people who believe in this moral supremacy of liberty now need to come out and argue their case. And we need to argue it on campuses. We need to argue it online. We need to argue it in forums like this. We can't leave it to the political leaders because the political leaders we have only reflect the ideas that people have been thinking over the past 10, 15, 20 years. Um, I'm afraid that many of the battles that we thought we had won a generation ago in the cause of liberty are going to have to be refought again. I think liberty is under attack. It is under attack in a way that we, we thought we had defeated the communists. We had certainly defeated the Soviet communists. We hadn't defeated the cultural Marxists who were firmly embedded in the institutions of, of universities and here in Britain in the BBC. We, we now need to be prepared to, to, to fight this battle. And if we don't, I fear that actually we will become whoever 
whoever holds office, we will become increasingly less free and less prosperous and less poor and less happy. Right. And Gloria, Douglas brought the issue of the, the battle of ideas towards the left. But the problem in the United States is that quite often it looks like the right doesn't understand what the founding principles were. So quite often, for example, we see the religious right in the United States claiming that this country was built on, let's say, the Christian morality and all that stuff. So Gloria, being the minority that we are, so being at the same time secular and for individual rights, do you think that it is worth fighting this battle within conservatism and actually telling to conservatives, you know what, the, the, the ideas that you think were the founding principles of what makes this country special, actually it's not. It's an idea and it's the idea of individual rights that, was, let's, that gave sanction to the American Revolution. Do you think this battle after like, I don't know, three, four decades of the American right going towards a religious route, is still winnable. I don't think so. And I, I think that that's why the, the libertarian movement, a political movement, is becoming more and more of an option. And sometimes objectivists as themselves find, find that they have more coherent uh, or, or more ideas in common with libertarian movements than with the Republican Party in itself, let alone that right now the Republican Party is even distancing uh, itself from Trump. So I think that the conservative movement, it, it, it's in a crisis. Uh, that's why, you know, I, I wrote a book about it, uh, how to talk to a conservative, because I do believe that there are commonsensical conservatives that do understand this. But I think that the damage comes from the fact that there is no separation in between Christianity and the Western civilization. And the fact that the Western civilization with or without Christianity has deep foundations of why the individual matters and why liberty and why morality and civil society in itself can organize a limited government in a republic. Some people believe that without Christianity, these values wouldn't exist in, in the Western society. And I blame Thomas Aquinas for this because it was Aquinas who grabbed Aristotle and mixed it in a blender with Christianity. What would have happened if a Buddhist grabbed Aristotle and mixed it with Buddhism or, or, or an Arab uh, scholar, you know? So is way before Christianity, it stands on itself. And there is um, wonderful works in Anne Rand's uh, literature, uh, for example, Conservatism and Obituary, where she talks about the danger that conservatives make. Also, Frederick Hayek did it as well. And, uh, and the Anne Rand Institute uh, has uh, very good uh, material on the secular principles that founded the United States. In fact, some of the founding fathers were even non-religious. So if we don't understand this separation, we will have this extreme conservative wing in the United States that, that go to the point where they deny the evolution, they want creationism to be taught at schools, and this dogmatism is only making young people go way more to the left. If, for example, today, I have this, uh, I have a, a, an event on free on the freedom to love. And the slogan is, you don't have to be socialist if you're gay. You're not, you're not doomed to be socialist if you're gay. There is an alternative, you know what I mean? And Tom Palmer is going to speak there and David Bowes and Didre McCloskey. So 
we need, I think, yes, make alliances with conservatives when it's, you know, when we can, but we also need to do a work on itself of the secular principles uh, that liberty holds. Right. And one last question to you. We're past time, but you're both too interesting to not to go a bit over time. So all three of us agree that politics is downstream from culture. And I would say culture is downstream from philosophy. So Douglas, taking into account the ideas that are dominating the US society today, or the, the big split between different people and the ideas they have, where do you see United States in 10 years? Do you see more disintegration or do you see that there's a chance for maybe someone centuries uh, uh, coming in and giving it a breath of life for another 10 years? Or do you see any big positive possibility that we are might be missing during all these gloomy last uh, months? The question I, is I to both of you. I'll start with Douglas and then I'll go to Gloria. I have unbounded confidence in the ability of America to bounce back. There have been many, many times when people have assumed that America was finished. And in the in the mid-1930s, things looked pretty catastrophic. In the 1960s and 70s, when race relations were really pretty grim, much, much worse than they are today, things looked pretty awful. If America stays true to the founding principles, I have absolute confidence in the ability of America to bounce back. You know, America has got this extraordinary ability to correct itself. It, it, it put Andrew Jackson in the White House, for goodness sake. If you think Donald Trump may be sometimes questionable judgment, imagine what Andrew Jackson or Lyndon Johnson might have been like if they had had Twitter accounts. America <laughs> can correct itself. It stays true to its founding principles. You know, I, I don't think religion is our opponent here, or rather I don't think traditional religion is America's problem. I think the problem that America has to grapple with is this secular radical religion of the woke. It is a religion for people who don't believe in God, who have a moral code that unfortunately doesn't believe in redemption, and it has a system of virtue signaling and a, the purchasing of indulgence, that, and it, it, in a pre-modern sense organizes high society into a sort of a, 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 a pre-enlightenment hierarchy. Um, America needs to come to terms with this woke cult, and I think it will do if it sticks to its foundational principles and embraces this idea that everyone in America, whether you came to America in the Mayflower or you arrived there last week um, by clambering across the border, you can, if you stick to those principles, become an American and build a better America. And I think if it sticks true to that, it will get through this. Good. Gloria, do you share this powerful, optimist message? I, I actually completely agree with Douglas. Whenever we think that we are doomed and we're living the worst of times, we just need to look at history. The best, uh, the, the best way of understanding what the future can hold is going to the past and learn its lessons. And I agree that these are, these are not the worst times. There have been worse things than Trump in the White House and, and, and these radical movements. Uh, and I also think that the United States is not only uh, a value to the Americans, but to every single person, at least that's my, my experience in Latin America, who have lost their freedoms and who are now fighting for the United States not to get lost in, in, in these ways. And I do believe that religion needs to uh, be where, where, where it needs to be, which is in the right of every human being to believe what they want to believe and to have the religion that they need to have as well as this woke dogmatism. Both religion and, and dogmatism and Marxism 
needs to stay out of the government and out of the state and, and, and out of, a, of, of a, a will to politicize things that should not be politicized and, and, and be forced upon others, but it's part of the realm of the individual rights, you know, to, to believe whatever you want to believe. Yeah, and uh, the way to fight bad ideas or false ideas is with good ideas and true ideas, which is what we've been trying to do uh, here. That's why I also encourage people to help the Ayn Rand Center and help uh, Raz in the good work that he's doing. So, Douglas and Gloria, thank you so much. I'm a bit more optimist than I was 25 minutes ago when I was preparing the notes for, for the show. Thank you very much and many thanks okay. to our audience and our viewers and see you all next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.